There are many different types of rabbinic laws which were made for different reasons. For example, it could be a totally new law, Mijabonon. For example, reading the Megillah on Purim. The Rabbonon made a totally new law that one needs to read or hear the Megillah on Purim. There are other things, Mijabonon, which they decreed so that somebody does not come to violate something made to Now, there are other things which the Rabbonon decreed because of Maris Ayin, which means that it appears as if one is doing an Avera. Now, things which they decreed because of Maris Ayin, what it appears like, there is nevertheless a rule that something which the Chachom decreed because of its appearance, even in the innermost room it's forbidden. Once the Rabbonon said it was forbidden, then even if there is nobody watching you, and you're inside your house, it is forbidden there as well. Be it as it may, say, it is forbidden to move, to carry a ladder from one dovecot to another dovecot. These would be sort of mini cages, which are very high up, and in order to reach them, one would have to climb on a ladder. And if one starts carrying a ladder from one place to another, it may look as though he is carrying the ladder in order to fix his roof. And that is certainly forbidden to erase on Shabbos and Yom Tov. So even if you're inside your own courtyard, and people can't necessarily see you, it is still forbidden to carry a ladder from one dovecot to another one. But it is permitted to tilt the ladder from one window to another window within that same dovecot, since you're not actually lifting it up and carrying it to another place. So even if there were people there, nobody would assume that you are taking it to fix something on your roof. Or Beis Hill Matirin, however Beis Hill permit it, and the Gemara explains that Beis Hill only argue in a case where the ladder being used is a smaller ladder, generally only used for dovecots. If it was a big ladder generally used for fixing one's roof, then even Beis Hill agree that it is forbidden to move it. But if it's anyway a smaller ladder, then Beis Hill permit one to move the ladder, but only Bechadri Chadarim, only in private. Even though, in general, something which is forbidden because of Maris Ayin is forbidden even in private, in this case, because of Simchas Yom Tov, so that one rejoices on Yom Tov, which is a mitzvah mid Eraisa, Beis Hillel are lenient and permit one to do this in private. Now, the doves are generally considered to be mukta. Often one would have many doves there, and even if he wanted to eat one of them for Yom Tov, he would never eat all of them, he would eat maybe some of them, and because of that, they are considered mukta until he designates which doves he is going to eat. And now, in order for something not to be mukta on Yom Tov, one has to designate it before Yom Tov begins. And it has to be that at the onset of Yom Tov, when Yom Tov began, he had the intention to use it, and it was considered to be in a designated state, set aside for use on Yom Tov. And then there is a rule that since it was set aside for use during twilight, as Yom Tov began, it is considered set aside for use on Yom Tov for the rest of the day, and even if, let's say, somebody changes his mind, and he decides that he's not going to use it on Yom Tov, it nevertheless is not Mukta, because it all depends on the time that Yom Tov comes in. Now, when it comes to designating these doves and making sure that they are not going to be Mukta on Yom Tov, it is generally enough just to think or to declare which of the doves he's going to use. However, when it comes to the first pair of doves, one is generally less likely to slaughter the first pair. He often leaves it with the mother dove. And so even if one were to declare or intend to use it, there is a likelihood that once he picks it up on Yom Tov, in order to take it to slaughter it, he's going to end up changing his mind and putting it back. Now, if he does that, although it's not considered to be Mukta, 
Even something which isn't mukta, one can only move and take for a purpose. And this applies to absolutely everything on Shabbos, even something like a chair. It's forbidden to move a chair for absolutely no reason. Although it's not mukta, one can only move it if it is for a particular purpose. Now, if somebody takes this dove, who is part of the first pair of doves, once he actually picks it up, he is likely to change his mind and to put it back and not end up slaughtering it. And if that's the case, it ends up being that he took it originally for absolutely no purpose. And so Shammai say that already before Yom Tov, one has to pick it up. And then once he picks it up, if he even after picking it up, he wants to use it and slaughter it. So then it is considered to be set aside. And he is not likely to change his mind when he, when he picks it up a second time tomorrow. And so Shammai say, Lo yitol. It is forbidden to take the doves from the dovecot. Unless he actually literally shook it. But it means he actually lifted it up on the day before Yom Tov. However, it is enough to stand there before Yom Tov comes in and to declare, or even just to think it in his mind, this dove and this dove I'm going to take tomorrow on Yom Tov. Basil is not concerned that he will end up changing his mind once he lifts it up on Yom Tov. What happens if Zimin Shechayrim, he prepared and set aside black doves, before Yom Tov, for example, he lifted them up and designated them properly so that they would not be mukta on Yom Tov. And then the next day on Yom Tov he comes, or Levonim, and he finds white doves where the black doves were. Or Levonim, if he had designated Levonim white doves, or Motzlevonim, and he only finds black doves. Or if, let's say, there were two doves in a particular dovecot, Shnein, there were two, and he designated those, or Motzlevonim, but on Yom Tov he came back and he found three doves over there. In all these cases, Asurim, the doves which he finds are forbidden, meaning they are considered to be mukta. So in the last case, where he found three, so certainly one of those doves was not set aside. So one of them is mukta, and you're not sure which one is mukta, and therefore you cannot carry any of them. Now the first two cases, where there's a black dove and a white dove, it seems entirely obvious that they would be considered mukta. They're clearly not the ones which you designated. So the Gemara explains that we're actually discussing a case where one designated both black doves and white doves. Let's say there were two different parts in the bird cot, and in one part there were black doves and one part there were white doves. And then Yom Tov, he came back and he found that they had switched places. So the point of the Mishnah is to tell us that we do not assume that it's the same doves which he had designated. Rather, we are concerned that it may have been that all of the doves which he designated flew away, and now new other doves came back. And so one is not able to assume that it's the same doves which he designated, and therefore they are considered to be mukta. Shloisha, if he designated three doves in the, in the dovecot, umotza shnaim, and he found only two. Mutorim, they are permitted, because we assume that they are the same doves, and it's just that one flew away, but there are two remaining. Now, the top of most dovecots, there would be the cot, the sort of cage itself, and there would also be sort of a small area surrounding the, the cot, where the doves could stand on, right outside of the cot. Now what happens if Besoichaken, he designated doves inside of the cage, that's where they were before Yom Tov when he designated them, or Motzelifneaken, but on Yom Tov he finds them in front of the cot. Says the Mishnah assume they are forbidden, because we assume again that these are different ones. However, the Ancient Elohim, if there are no other doves in the area except for these doves, then then they are permitted. And the Gemara explains that it has to be that there is no other dovecot within 50 amas in every direction. And as well as that, it has to be that the doves which he finds are not yet able to fly, they're young doves. And in such a case, then we assume that they are indeed the doves which he designated, and that they did not fly from a different bird cot which was nearby.
Mishnah hey, this Mishnah brings no less than four disputes between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel with regards to Yom Tov. Now, strictly speaking, it is not forbidden to sell things on Yom Tov. In those days, many people who had shops, especially shops with food, would sell things on Yom Tov. Of course, there are certain conditions. One cannot make a price on Yom Tov. You can only sell it to people who he anyway knows and generally buy from him. But there are ways to sell. And the way in which many people would sell in the marketplace was that they would have sort of a large cupboard with a door on it, and the door could be taken off. We're discussing a door without a hinge. So the door could be taken off and then converted into a table. You would take out the legs, and they would sell their food and their wares on that table. Now, because the door doesn't have any hinges, and furthermore, the cupboard is not connected to the ground, so taking the door on and off the cupboard is not, strictly speaking, forbidden on Yom Tov. However, it is forbidden to remove these doors on Yom Tov from the cupboard in which they would keep their wares, because it looks like one is demolishing and building. According to Beis Shammai, Yesh binyan v'stira b'kelim. One does violate the malachas, the forbidden forms of work, of building or demolishing, even if an item is not connected to the ground. So if, for example, this door would have hinges, then to put it on and off would be forbidden with the eraser. Now, in this case, it, does, it doesn't have hinges, so with eraser, it is not considered to be building or demolishing. Nevertheless, since it appears to be like building or demolishing, Beishamai hold that it is forbidden with Rabbonon to do so. But with Silmatirin, but Beishilo permit it, the reason being that the Rabbonon were lenient in the case of Yom Tov, in order to increase people's enjoyment on Yom Tov. There is a mitzvah made the eraser of Simchas Yom Tov, the one should rejoice on Yom Tov, and so in order to allow one to enjoy their Yom Tov and be able to sell things, so it is permitted to take the door off in order to sell the things to people, and that way all the people who buy the food items or the various other items would be able to enjoy their Yom Tov more. But this will add that it is permitted even to return the door back to its place once he has finished selling things. Now here, returning the door is what he does after selling the items. So that is not increasing the Simchas Yom Tov of anybody. So why is that permitted? So the Gemara explains that this comes from a principle known as Hetiru Seifon Mishum Techilason. The Beis Hillel permit one to do something at the end because of the beginning. Meaning, if it was forbidden to put the door back at the end, then people wouldn't even take it off in the beginning. Because when they finish selling the things, they can't put the door back, so their items might get stolen, and therefore they will be scared to even take the door off in the first place, which means that there will be a lack of Simchas Yom Tov. So in order that people would take the doors off in the beginning, They permitted even the end because of the beginning, and therefore it is permitted to even put the door back onto the cupboard. The second Machlik between Bishama and Bishila in this Mishnah concerns a heavy wooden board which is generally designated for use in a grinding machine, and the use for which it is designated is something which is forbidden to do on Yom Tov. Now there are many different types of Muktza, and the category of Muktza which this item comes under is a Klish Malachtele Isur something which is designated for performing an action which is forbidden on Yom Tov. Now, according to Beis Shammai, it is forbidden to move a Klish Malachta Le'isr at all. And so Beis Shammai and Beis Shammai say, a note so Eli Le'katzibot of Bosar, it is forbidden to take and move this heavy wooden board in order to cut meat on it. Even though, of course, cutting, cutting meat is permitted on Yom Tov, nevertheless, this item is, is Mukta, and according to Beis Shammai, a Klish Malachta Le'isr may not be moved even for permitted use.
However, Reisel Matirin, Reisel permit one to move it for the sake of a permitted use on Yom Tov. Since Kuntz Hillel, every Klishim Lachtel Isur can be moved if you are doing it for the sake of a permitted use. As well as that, Reis Hillel also permit one to use it for the sake of its space. If, let's say, it's lying in the middle of the floor, and you want to use that space, that's known as the Tzorich Mekoymai, and in such case, it would also be permitted to move that Kli Shemalachtel Isur. The term used when talking about using a Kli Shemalachtel Isur for a permitted use is the Tzorich Gufoy, that the person using it has a use for it, and he is using it for a permitted action, and the Kuntu Hillel that is permitted. Alright, third Machlaikes, but Shama Imam Shamai say, in Nostinus or Orif Dorson, it is forbidden to put the hide, the skin of an animal, in front of people who would trample it. So you can't put it, let's say, in the middle of a path, where people are walking anyway, you cannot put it there, in order that they walk on top of this. The reason being that this looks like one is preparing it to be tanned, which is the process done to animal hides in order to smoothen them, and one of the things done in order to tan hides is to trample on it. So it is forbidden to put it in a place where people will trample on it, since it looks as if you are going to uh, tan the animal totally on Yom Tov, which would certainly be forbidden. It is also forbidden to even lift up the hide of the animal, since it is mukta. Even if you slaughtered that animal on Yom Tov itself, once the hide has been taken off and you eat the, you eat the meat of the animal, it is forbidden to move the hide, because one has no use for the hide on Yom Tov. Elohim Kane Ishmael's ice brosser, unless there is at least the size of an olive of meat attached to the hide, in which case you would be able to move it because of the meat. Uwisil Matirin, but Uwisil permit both of these actions, and the reason is similar to the concept of Hitiru Seifam Mishum Techelosan. Because Bizhil reason that if it would be forbidden to move the ta- the hide at all, and to allow people to trample on it, then people would end up not slaughtering animals on Yom Tov at all. Because if the animal hide is just left there for a number of hours, not being trampled, just left there in the open, so it'll start to waste away and decay, and it won't be able to be used. So people will end up not slaughtering at all, and they will have a lack of Simchas Yom Tov, uh, rejoicing on Yom Tov, and therefore we still permit both of these actions. Now the final machlokes of this mission is a very fundamental machlokes. It is forbidden to carry out a child, or a lulav, or a sefer Torah, or any other item, which is not food. It is forbidden to carry that into a public domain. Just like on Shabbos, the only thing which is permitted on Yom Tov is something for the sake of food, and since these things are not related to food, it is forbidden to carry them out into a public domain. However, we still material and we still permit this because of an extremely important rule for the entire Masechta, and that is if a particular form of work is permitted for the sake of food, so for example, one would be permitted to carry out food into a public domain on Yom Tov, so we don't just say that now it's permitted to carry food out into a public domain. Rather, we say that the Torah now holds that it is permitted to carry into a public domain on Yom Tov. From the fact that we see it as permitted for the sake of food, it is also permitted for anything. And so even carrying non-food items and doing other forms of work which would be permitted for food, they can be done even for other items. Again, when one harvests produce and he processes it, so there are a number of different tithes and gifts which he needs to give to a coin or to a levy, to a poor person. And the halacha is the midrabbonon, it is forbidden to separate those tithes on Shabbos or Yom Tov. The reason being that before you separate the tithes, that produce is known as tevel, and tevel is forbidden to eat. 
So by separating the tithes, you are sort of fixing and completing the produce and turning it from something which is forbidden to something which is permitted. So just like it's forbidden to fix something or to complete the work of something, it is forbidden to separate tithes on Shabbos and Yom Tov. However, that only applies to tithes which could have been separated before Shabbos or Yom Tov. If the entire obligation only began on Yom Tov, let's say, so then it would be permitted to separate those tithes. So an example of that would be Challah, when one turns his produce into dough. So once it becomes dough, only then does the obligation begin. One has to separate a portion of the dough and give it to a Kohen. So if one makes dough on Yom Tov, which is permitted, it's for the sake of food. So the obligation of Chala would begin on Yom Tov. And so it is permitted to separate the Chala on Yom Tov. Another example which the Mishnah will discuss is Matonois, which literally means gifts. And when the Mishnah refers to Matonois, that refers to the obligation of giving the front right leg, the cheeks and the stomach of certain animals which one slaughters to a Kohen. So again, if one slaughters the animal on Yom Tov, so the obligation only begins on Yom Tov, he couldn't have done it before Yom Tov, and therefore it is permitted to separate that on Yom Tov. The discussion in our Mishnah, again an argument between Bish Shammai and Bish Hillel, is whether one is allowed to actually give it to a Kohen on Yom Tov. Bish Shammai and Bish Shammai say, It is forbidden to bring and to give the gift of Chala from one's dough, or the gifts from the animal which he slaughtered to a coin on Yom Tov, whether they were separated the previous day, whether those gifts were separated before Yom Tov, or whether they were separated that day. But they still permit it. Now, generally, refers to the concept that if there are two of the same words, or very similar words, in two totally different psukim, in different places in the Torah, so in certain instances where that occurs, there are traditions to learn certain laws from one of those psukim to the other. We compare the two psukim. Now in this case, it's not a literal gzer Rather, it just means that we're comparing two different things. The gift of challah from the dough and the various parts of the body of the animal which he slaughtered, those are gifts which go to a kohen. And truma, which is the gift from one's produce which he harvests, that is also a gift to the kohen. Just like it is always forbidden to bring the truma to the kohen on Yom Tov, so too it is forbidden to bring those other gifts to the Kohen on Yom Tov. Om Lehem Beis Hillel, Beis Hillel said to them, Loi, no, that is not a good comparison. If you said that that is the halacha, when it comes to regular truma, where he was not allowed to separate it on Yom Tov, it is always forbidden Medjabonah to separate truma on Yom Tov, since the obligation begins once the harvest and the processing of the produce which has been harvested is completed, and that cannot be done on Yom Tov. So certainly the obligation began before Yom Tov. And therefore, it is always forbidden to separate Truma on Yom Tov. And since it's forbidden to separate the Truma on Yom Tov, it is also forbidden to give it to a Kohen. If you start giving it to a Kohen, people might assume that you separated on Yom Tov. They might come to the conclusion that it is permitted to separate Truma on Yom Tov. And so that's why it's forbidden to give it to a Kohen on Yom Tov. But Tomumbumatonois, would you say the same thing when it comes to the other gifts, Shazakibaramason, where one is permitted to separate it on Yom Tov? This hill's point being that even if, let's say, the Chala was separated the previous day, so you did have the opportunity to give the Chala before Yom Tov, 
even in that case, you would be able to actually do it on Yom Tov. So even more than we explained at the beginning of the Mishnah. Since there is a way to separate the Chalah on Yom Tov in a totally permitted way, so even if you do start bringing it to the Kohen on Yom Tov, and people think that, oh, that must mean that you also separated it on Yom Tov, that's not a problem, because there are many times where it is totally permitted to separate it on Yom Tov, if the obligation only began on Yom Tov. So to summarize, if the obligation began on Yom Tov, then it is permitted to even separate that tithe on Yom Tov itself. And if it is the sort of tithe whose obligation can possibly begin on Yom Tov, so even if the obligation did not begin on Yom Tov, so it will be forbidden to separate the tithe on Yom Tov, However, it would be permitted if you t- if you separated it before Yom Tov, it would be permitted to give it to a Kohen on Yom Tov, according to Beis Hillel.